this time to talk about this whole subject of, uh, of uh, when people struggle and uh, we can all find ourselves in that situation. And I guess particularly with depression and anxiety and, and, uh, and addictions, that'll be a bit of a focus today. But even though we're talking about it for three weeks, I think we're still only scratching the surface. But I still, I really do pray that, as said today, that what we share today is something that you, to, that you can think about, that will cause you to think about it, maybe in a different way that you have before. But more importantly than in any of these situations, there's hope. You know, that, uh, that, that we've just sung a, a song, Our God is Higher, Our God is Stronger. And this is, uh, for those of us who are born again, those of us who have come to a relationship with God, this is our experience. Our God is greater. Our God is our healer. And that's what we'll be talking today. So whatever place we find ourselves in at different times, there's always this wonderful hope that the word of God gives us and that the spirit gives us within us as well. So I want to particularly talk about addictions today and just to make this point so that an addiction being any behaviour that provides temporary pleasure or relief in the short term but negative consequences in the long term. So we often might talk about being addicted to coffee Now, normally, most of the time, that's not the sort of thing we're talking about today. Um, We can usually give it up if we need to. We might get a headache, but, you know, we can linger through that. So I'm not talking about those things, but the things that even the um, simple things that sometimes we get caught up in, but which have these long-term negative consequences for us. The word addiction, it comes from the, the Latin addictus, which was uh, meaning to be assigned as a slave, usually because you couldn't pay your debts. And uh, so when that happened, you got assigned as a slave. And, of course, that's what an addiction is. You become its slave. You're always in its debt. What ends up happening, you get these cravings that you need more and more of all the time. The compulsion that uh, whatever it is, despite its consequences, you just can't stop. And, of course, well, actually, you can stop, and that's what today is about. You often think of addictions as being substance abuse. Now, Brother Brian Taylor is going to share a testimony with us later about that particularly. But we also want to think about our own lives. So when you think about your life, are there things in your life that you know, cravings that you've had that you, you find hard to control. And I know I have. I've never had a drug problem, but I've certainly had to deal with things that, you know, if I'd done nothing about, they could have become a problem. More importantly, to my relationships as well, to my wife, to my family, and most importantly, to my God. So I'm including a couple of videos today just to... Um, now, hopefully they can highlight a couple of things that can do it better than I can. This first one is just a short minute or so out of um, um, this guy, Dr. Gabor Mate, and uh, he's quite, got quite a reputation for working with addicts. Um, he was, and he, here he's talking to a former um, addict, uh, substance addict at a business convention. 
this guy, Dr. Gabor, was, um, was about five when the Nazis invaded his country, Poland. He lost both his grandparents uh, in the war and in marches and so on. He's a Jew himself, I think. So he had very serious trauma in his early life. And uh, this isn't particularly talking about that trauma, but I want to just share what he's had to say and maybe give us a slightly different perspective on um, addiction. Well, um, and just as you, in my case, when I was in my addictive phase, and my, my addiction was, besides to work, it was for shopping. And I shopped compulsively for classical music. And how can that be addiction? You just love music. No, I didn't. I love the music, yes, I'm passionate about it. But it's the shopping I was addicted to. I had to get more and more and more, and it doesn't matter how many CDs I bought, next day I had to get a whole bunch more. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, I, and of course, in the process, I was spending a lot of money. And of course, the one addiction justified the other, because I was saying, I work so hard, I deserve to give myself some pleasure. Um, the, that's how clever the addicted brain is, it, just, it justifies everything. And I lied to my wife about where I was going, to the store again. But it was like I was like having an affair. I lied and I cheated and so on. Just to pick up his points there, that seemingly trivial things can still capture us. That other point he made about the addicted mind can justify anything. Well, I think anything that we do, we can justify, can't we? We're all very good at justifying ourselves, whatever. And of course, we're also going to try and hide it. So just to reiterate, that, reiterate this point, that addiction is more than substance abuse. It's any behaviour that we find ourselves craving, difficult to control, and which has got negative consequences. Which, of course, means that we shouldn't be too quick to judge others. You know, scripture is full of awesome wisdom. You know, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you make, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own? You hypocrite. First remove the plank. This is Christ's um, talking. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. It can be easy to look at an addict and point the finger and say, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Stop now. But to do so is not recognising the, the pain and the hurt that's probably behind their addiction. We, we know we, and we understand, don't we, that so many people that are inflicting pain on others were themselves victims in their own youth. It's this repetitive thing. So... While our natural reaction might be to condemn and avoid, God instead is reminding us here that our own nature is probably not that different. So we don't want to just point a uh, finger at alcohol and drugs and things like that. Most of us are going to experience that addictions that aren't good for us and that have, what's the other thing? Negative consequences. So before I start getting to maybe some of the solutions for this and things that we can, um, we can use to you know, get out of any sort of situation that we have like this, I want to just do a little bit of digression on why this whole subject might be a bit more important to us than maybe we would have otherwise thought. So... 
medically what's happening, um, we, we all know that nicotine is addictive, don't we? We've heard that. But it's not actually the nicotine that's addictive, it's the dopamine that it releases in the brain that's addictive. And it's the same for alcohol and it's the same for cocaine. These substances are all stimulating this chemical, this dopamine in our brain. It's causing a, a high and then a craving for more. Laughter does the same thing. Laughter releases dopamine into our brains, and it's good, isn't it? Uh, Proverbs 17 verse 22 says that a merry heart does more, than, more good than a medicine, and it does. So in moderation, dopamine's fine. And the problem is, though, when you, know, you start craving more and more and more to get the same effect. So before we get to this, the solution, I want to highlight a particular addiction that I, I um, just uh, became aware of in, in recent times. Someone gave me a, a book. My friend gave me a book, and, and I had a look at it and um, a bit of a video. And it's this guy, Brad Huddleston. He's talking. And share this, and um, it's a talk that he gave from around 2015. I think he's he's certainly Christian. I think he's a pastor as well, and um, and he's talking about our devices. So have a listen to this. Now I want to show you something from a chemical perspective in the brain when it comes to gaming. Spending two hours on a game station is equivalent to taking a line of cocaine in the high that it produces. Now that's how addiction works. It's that repetitive, do it more, do it longer, and you get addicted to it because your body's building up a tolerance to it as well. Now in the case of anhedonia, what happens, this is when someone pushes it so hard that the dopamine barrier gets so strong that they can no longer generate enough dopamine to get into that area, and the area where you feel, it doesn't die, but it goes numb. It's, it's a condition. It's actually one of the symptoms of schizophrenia and major depression. And it only used to be found in those two groups of people, and now it's in children due to the overuse and the misuse of technology. The top executives who are making these devices are not really concerned about your children's brains. They're concerned about their own children's brains. What they're concerned about you is that you spend money. And I would also recommend that you follow Steve Jobs. He was a low-tech parent. Nothing shocked me more than something Mr. Jobs said to me in late 2010 after he'd finished chewing me out for something I had written about an iPad shortcoming. So your kids must love the iPad, I asked Mr. Jobs, trying to change the subject. The company's first tablet was just hitting the shelves. They haven't used it. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. But he speaks of how all of the screen time, and not just gaming, but all screen time, is, is really driving isolation and even rage. And he shares some advice on how to break this particular addiction. But that line, it's not a scientific study, as it said on the slide there, but that two hours of gaming is equivalent to a line of cocaine in respect of the, of the dopamine high that it produces. And, of course, any screen time is doing that, maybe not to quite the same as the intensity of gaming, but, you know, look at any table in a cafe and count the people checking their phones. We've all done it as well, haven't we? And so what we find is that, you know, screens are rewiring our brain and particularly in our young people. And, you know, some of the commentary on, or some of the comments on that video is that uh, you want to be really careful about how much screen time your kids have. But it's for all of us. I sat down for a time of prayer a couple of weeks ago and I noticed myself pulling out my phone. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like that, isn't it? And we've got to be so careful about it. We've become so addicted to instant self-gratification in this society. We get distracted by our strengths. And these constant distractions are, you know, driving short attention spans. You know, we, we can't talk for more than a half an hour on a, on a talk like this. We used to be able to do it for an hour. I was planning to go for an hour and a half today, but I thought I'd better not do that. And the problem, of course, is for us is that we can start treating our relationship with God the same way. You know, we don't... I've heard it said, I like this comment, we don't connect with God in a microwave with short, sharp bursts, but in a crock pot, long and steady and stew together. I like that. And, you know, so we've got, we want to be careful. How often do we, you know, snatch the time of prayer in the car or check the phone while praying, as, as I just mentioned? So while we're talking about addictions generally today, I wanted to maybe thought it was worth highlighting this, this new trap for us. I don't expect devices will be coming out anytime soon with a warning on the packet like we get for cigarettes. It was quite a fight to get that warning on cigarette packets, wasn't it? I don't think we're ever going to get the warning on devices. Um, but maybe we should. Maybe we should. Maybe that's a good idea. So let me just sum up this issue before we go to the solutions. It seems to me from, from what I've been looking at that there's two sort of main causes of addiction. There's the trauma, you know, from hurt and pain and loneliness, distress, anxiety, depression. And there's this instant gratification. There's just seeking pleasure now and seeking more and more of it. Of course, trauma, it's easy to see how trauma might drive addiction um, and then the, you know, the consequent harm of, of broken lives, broken relationships, poverty. But of course, as, as uh, Dr. Gable, Gable was saying before, shopping can do it. You know, gambling can do it. All these things that um, can just get in the way. And, of course, instant gratification um, is, can be harmful as well. So let's consider that addictions often aren't the real problem in a way. They're just our attempt to solve or to hide or to ignore them. It's a person's attempt to protect themselves. And Cynthia spoke very much about that last week, didn't she? Uh, about wanting to hide and and uh, and the trauma that she experienced as a, as a girl. So I want to start turning to the antidote now, to the healing, because freedom from all of these things is available if we want it. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, we've all heard of them. They developed twelve steps. Uh, to help addicts. And they aren't bad, these steps. That's them there. Can you read that? You're not supposed to. <laughs> you don't have to. This is probably a better way. Uh, I've got a simple version of them, and, you know, they're not bad. Um, they talk about recognising the problem in the first place. Uh, they talk about God. They used to talk about God. Now I understand that they talk about your higher power. 
because uh, you can't talk about God in that respect anymore, not, not in society, you know. And I guess I just want to affirm in a way that uh, my higher power is God. Amen. Um, and it's, there's a truth there that, that I just can't deny. There's a couple of limitations uh, in, in these, these 12 steps when it doesn't really address the reason why people are addicted in the first place. And the ultimate um, uh, solution really is to abstain. They're talking about here about alcohol and I think Narcotics Anonymous have something similar which really is a Band-Aid. It's, it's, um, it's only a Band-Aid, and, and the Word of God provides more than a Band-Aid. The Word of God provides some surgery in this situation. It cuts out the problem, it destroys the problem, and so we can have a, a really a free life going forward. So they had about 12 steps. I've just got 10 today um, that I can share from Scripture about what we can do. So the first, my first point here is that healing and addiction in the first case, in the first step, is not the addict's responsibility. That changes our mind a little bit, doesn't it? Changes the way we think a little bit. The healing starts with the friends of the addict and not the addict. Because an addict is in hiding. Why would they ever come out to face more rejection? And they'll come out because they get drawn out. And if we find ourselves in this situation, we're going to want to hide our addiction, whatever it might be. We're going to need our friends around us to draw us out. Now, some can decide that they don't want this anymore and, um, and, and, get, uh, and get freed of it. Um, but it's so much harder to do it when it's all by yourself. Dr. Gabor Marte will often ask an addict, what does your addiction do for you? What did you get from it that was missing from your life? How did you lose what was missing from your life? Which are good questions, aren't they? And it makes us stop and think as well. Because when we talk about things being lost from our life, I think most of us in this room will... I know what we will jump to, the answer being. And so he's changing the, the question from, you know, that's bad, stop it. We all know that, to, to why and how can I help? And here in Luke 14 is Christ's answer to this. This is Christ's mission statement. This is what Christ came to do. This is what he's all about. When he got up in that uh, synagogue that day and he read out of Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is Christ's mission statement and therefore for those who are born again, ours as well. I'll play this another short video. This is a guy, Johan Hari, who um, he had to uh, deal with and help members of his own family that uh, really got um, in a pretty bad way with addictions. And uh, that prompted him to do a bit of a, a journey 
to find out what's going on and so on and how he could help them. And he shared uh, a whole bunch of things in a TED talk. And this is just a little lift out. I of think there's a, there's a study I learned about from Bill McKibben, the environmental writer, I think tells us a lot about this. There's, it looked at the number of close friends the average American believes they can call on in a crisis. That number has been declining steadily since the 1950s. The amount of floor space an individual has in their home has been steadily increasing. And I think that's like a metaphor for the choice we've made as a culture, right? We've traded floor space for friends. We've traded stuff for connections. And the result is that we are one of the loneliest societies there has ever been. What I try to do now, and I can't tell you I do it consistently and I can't tell you it's easy, is to say to the addicts in my life that I want to deepen the connection with them, to say to them, I love you whether you're using or you're not. I love you whatever state you're in. And if you need me, I'll come and sit with you because I love you and I don't want you to be alone or to feel alone. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. So the first step, the best step to start with in an addiction for either ourselves or for people we know is for us to be connecting. I think it's a well-said point. And then not then just to connect with us, but most importantly, to connect with God. So number two, this is, I think this is AA's uh, first step. Acknowledge your problem and, and you need help. Until any of us appreciate, until they don't appreciate that they have a problem, why would they do anything to fix it? But also appreciate that you never need to be alone in the journey. Isn't, that was Christ's statement, isn't he, his mission? Set the captive free. And as much as addicted, addiction is being in, enslaved to the, to the substance or to the whatever it is that we are, we are that, that Christ's mission, Christ's glory for us is to set the captive free. So whether it's an addiction that's caused by trauma, something you couldn't help or, or control, or whether you've allowed your brain to be rewired, there's a point that each of us need to say or anyone needs to say, this isn't good for me anymore. The satisfaction that I'm getting from my addiction is taking me to a place where I don't want to be. I need help. And, and I, I absolutely assert, you know, with with all, I don't know, gravity and, and, and confidence that the only, there is only one higher power. So Paul said to the Greeks, wasn't he, when they had a whole bunch of, 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 uh, of um, things to all the various gods that they had down near Mars Hill there, and they had one to the unknown God just in case they left anyone out. And Paul said, this is the only God. He used what they had. And he shared the power of God. So that's number two. Third thing is to acknowledge that God is our creator. Twice. That's an important point. So God created us in Genesis 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God who created him, male and female, he created them. So we absolutely accept and believe that this is truth, that God created us, that we are made in his image, that there is something more to 
us and to our soul than this body that we're containing at the moment. It's our soul that's going to live forever, whatever forever actually is. It's our soul that's going to live forever. It's our soul that can connect with God. We are not just atoms and molecules, not just a, a living thing that can reproduce. We are made in the image of God to understand all things and to understand and to connect with God. This is what he's made us for. But in this flesh, we can't this flesh around and we have all its problems and so on. And so we need recreation. And so that's why he does it again the third time. The sec, yeah, the second time. The third point. We get a brand new start in life. In John 3, verses 3 to 5, Jesus is talking to this guy, Nicodemus, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, recreated, restarted, renewed, unless that happens to a person, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he emphasises this, he repeats himself, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we are created in his image and then we are recreated when we are born again through the waters of baptism and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit upon us. So that's point three here. Acknowledge that God is our higher power who in fact is the only higher power that even exists. This next one's an important point. We always like to blame someone else for any problems that we might have. We always want to blame our circumstances for problems that we have. And we might blame any situation find ourselves in terms of addiction or whatever it might be. We might uh, blame our genetics, might blame our mum and dad, our upbringing. We might blame our history or the trauma that we've had to endure at some time or other. But this is the truth, that we no longer need to be beholden to any of our past. Christ breaks us from that past through the waters of baptism. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how do we get in Christ? We're born again. If anyone then is in Christ, he is a new creation, recreated. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Emphasis on all. All things become new. We can grab this. And sometimes, let me just speak only to the spirit-filled people here at the moment, sometimes we do not appreciate and grab hold of the fact that all things have become new. We look at our hands and our bodies and we hear, you know, the, the, our minds that are trying to get us, what does Paul say, you know, the good things I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things I don't want to do, I do do. He has this fight, this fight at the end of Romans 7, Romans 7 he talks about, but praise God. There is a delivery. There is an answer. All things have become new. And this is the life that we are now walking. Amen? When we're born again in the spirit, this is the life we now have. 
So we're acknowledging God as our creator. We also want to acknowledge God as our healer. Uh, Luke 19 verse 10, it's not on the slide, but Luke 19 verse 10, he says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 10.10 says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to remember Christ's death and resurrection. We're going to remember it and celebrate it in a minute. So as I said before, God provides much more than a Band-Aid for any issues, any problems that we have. And it goes way beyond addictions, of course, any problems that we have. He provides surgery. He gets in there, gets rid of the problem and lets it heal properly. So we acknowledge God as our creator and as our healer. Let's also acknowledge Christ as our saviour. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 gives a whole list of things that people do that, that are unrighteous and they're going to cause people to, you know, fall and, and not be able to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says here, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes on to list a few things. And in verse 11, some, were you, some of you were like that too. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's something very real. Baptism in water is not just symbolic, not just symbolic. It is changing. It is life-changing. Sin is, uh, sin is two things. You know, we, when we, we talk about sin, we often talk about it as, as, um, as things we do. It's, I might say it's acts of defiance against God, if I could put it that way. But sin is, there's more to sin than that. Sin is the state of separation from God. That's why we're born into sin. We're not born into doing bad things. We're born into a state of separation from God. The bad things just come along naturally. And God's purpose and Christ's purpose in sending, in being sent to the cross was to break that um, well, it is to break the connection with our old life and it is to break the connection with our new life with Christ. And the, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, is that in being separated, in being disconnected from God, of having lived a life that God wasn't pleased with, of even maybe living a life of real animosity towards God, maybe even worse, not even acknowledging that there is a God. Christ's death now makes us sinless. And all we need to do is acknowledge it. Praise God. So I guess acknowledging is this next point about confessing our faults and repenting. 
Um, I'd like to comment from Brother Jake Chidiak last Wednesday night, and uh, he gave a brief thought on the Wednesday night uh, Zoom meeting, and he said that uh, he changed Descartes' famous saying, I think, therefore I am, which is pretty deep and all by itself, because I think I, I must exist sort of thing. I think, therefore I am. And Jake changed it to, I think, therefore I'm Christ's. I like the way he did that. I think, therefore, I'm Christ. I am deciding that God is now the master, the king, my saviour, my creator, my life. So it's us to decide that and it's then God to provide it. We decide and we confess our sins, but it's up to us then to, um, to decide to do it and then God does it for us. And I guess in a way... This sort of encapsulates what repentance is. Repentance is acknowledging that you're in this, that you are separated from God. That's what repentance is. Acknowledging your separation and saying, I don't want to be separated anymore. I want to be connected with my creator, with my healer, with my saviour. So that's what repentance is. It's that first step in this new creation that we do. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, well, verses 7 to 9, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Christ, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't know how the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all my sin. I don't know how that can be. I just know that it is. Through God's wisdom, through his grace, through his mercy, it just is. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us, but if we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to bring us into that wonderful place of connection with him. So having confessed that there's something that needs to change about our lives, then one of those things is to make better choices. 1 Corinthians 6 uh, verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be controlled by it or addicted to it. I I quite like um, uh, the NLT rendition of this because uh, it, it changes it a little bit. So instead of me saying that, or Paul saying that we can do anything, NLT actually brings out this this statement. I imagine it's in the Greek. I haven't studied this properly, but it says, as I say, the NLT says, you say that all things are lawful for you, but all things are not helpful. You say all things are lawful for me, but... That's not what we're saying. And the response is, Paul says, I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be controlled to it or addicted by it. That, um, that uh, statement Paul repeats four chapters later in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, good for us. All things are lawful, but not all things build up or are beneficial for us. Good choices and moderation in all things. 
That's something for us to decide to do. One of those choices is about making better friends. Um, I remember my mum once, um, I brought a friend home from school and I used to enjoy his company a lot. He made me laugh a lot. Must have helped my dopamine levels or something or other. We used to laugh a lot together. And uh, he came home with me one time and, and there was something about him that mum just recognised and said, I don't want you going over to his place. And I thought that was pretty crook. I didn't think that was very fair. I didn't think it was very nice. But mum saw something in her wisdom that um, uh, helped me because she was able to set that boundary there, that, that, uh, that guide for me, whether I liked it or not. There's this scripture, and this is to spirit-filled saints. It says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 9 out of the NLT, you must be careful that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. So at the moment, Paul is particularly talking about eating meat. That's the particular subject of this chapter. And, and, when you sin, and then in verse 12, when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. Paul is saying there might be something you feel quite able to do. No problem on your conscience. But if it's going to cause a problem to a brother, then don't do it. So he continues and he says in verse 13, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Paul is prepared to change. He's not changing what he believes, but he's changing what he does for the sake of his friends. So, you know, in this church, I'm getting my words right, in this church, we choose not to drink alcohol. While it's also, you know, certainly because scriptures don't encourage it, or another way, they discourage it, but also for the sake of our friends who need support and not temptation. And so we choose not because of the ravages that we see of alcohol in society. And Paul was talking particularly about meat. It was an issue because of um, people were offering it to idols and confusing Christians about whether they could eat it or not. But he makes this general principle, I will not do anything for as long as I live because I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So that's what's happening when we're making better friends. We are making friends with people who are going to encourage us, who are going to support us, who are going to love us, and who aren't going to tempt us with things that aren't any good for us. My last point is a point from the Greeks. The Greeks gave us this one, know yourself. Um, they coined this along with another two other sayings. One of those sayings, I didn't get the third saying, but one of the other sayings was nothing to excess. They, that was good. That's great advice, isn't it? They knew a thing or two. Um, unfortunately, in the Greeks' case, along with, came, with that inspiration came, you know, all their, you know, various gods and their pagan excesses and so on. So, They've got a couple of things right, but I wouldn't extol them too much. Know yourself. Romans 12, verse 3, this one again out of NLT. Because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. 
measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Let all of us be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. Know your limits. Don't put yourself in temptation's path. It's one of the prayers that we're encouraged to pray, one of the thoughts that we're encouraged to include in every prayer that we have. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver me from evil. He'll do the delivering, but it's a whole lot easier if we're not led into the temptation in the first place. And this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, which is of great comfort. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There are still choices here. He will support us. He will love us. He will pull us back like he did with the prodigal son. But we've got to want to. We've got to be making these good choices. But if we are praying the prayer, Lord, don't leave me into temptation. He's going to honour that prayer. And then it's up to us as well to honour him. Got one more thought to make, but before I do, I might ask Brian just to come and share your testimony. Um, thanks, Brian. It's whatever the Lord blesses uh, through you today. Thanks, brother. Um, my name is Brian Taylor. But um, look, uh, Pastor uh, Dave has just covered just about everything there. And uh, my testimony goes into alcoholism. And the, and the journey it took me to get to here. Um, and uh, I'm trying to keep it brief. It's a fairly long story. But what he said then was uh, about Alcoholics Anonymous. It's quite true that I got there first. And they did mention God. And one of the steps was, you know, hand your will in your life over to God as you understand him. Well, I, I, and as Pastor David said, I... I God was the only God, the God of the Bible. And so I had that in the back of my mind in my battle in and out of AA and rehabs and homelessness and dereliction and, um, and waking up in the morning with every body and every nerve in your body screaming for relief because you know you'd go into the DTs or you would go into um, have a fit you try and get something to stop that or you try and just try and black out the whole of life. And I had some things happen in my life and this is where the excuses comes in that Pastor David was talking about. My excuses was, I see now, was my brother died at 19 of a heroin overdose. I blame myself a little bit for that. It was in my flat. And, you know, my parents were devastated and, um, and I was too. And... I just chose to wander off and leave the town and leave everything. And I started drinking and working in hotels and alcohol was just a normal thing when you work in hotels. They drank every day, most of the staff. But for me to have one drink, it was, uh, you know, too much and a hundred wasn't enough. And so I, I eventually went down that ladder that they talk about Well, I lost my job. Um, and became homeless because you can't 
drink every day and you're not capable of doing things that you should be doing in life. So I had my little bag and my only pair of track pants and um, I'd wander the streets and you'd just lean towards other alcoholics and they'd all hang around parks and, and find a place to sleep. And, um, you know, there'd be fights and arguments and people would pull knives. You had to be careful. You had to choose your friends there too. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's just trying to black everything out and not face anything. But, and I think I just wanted to, it was a mental state. I just didn't want to leave, I don't think. And um, I got into a few rehabs and, um, and I did the AA program and managed to get work and I still had the battle of daily handing over and daily doing, you know, um, just trying to stay sober for one day, which is, which is what they do in AA. And then I, was, I met my wife Ainsley and she was coming to this church or had become to this church. Oh, she was actually, she'd been away and she came back and she was, I was um, still battling the AA shuffle and in and out. And I went to the church anyway and I had a look at it, what was going on. They mentioned God and I knew about God. They also mentioned you could be healed completely from heroin addiction and any addictions. And I thought, well, I've been trying that for 20, 30 years, you know. And so uh, I came to the south side and I went for a while and I just sat and listened and back and forward uh, day after day, week after week. And then I, had a, I decided to get baptised because they spoke about getting baptised and then receiving the Holy Spirit and, and then you'll know the truth and you'll be, God will be with you and... That's what I thought then. So I did that. I got baptised in three weeks in 2008. And three weeks later, I received the Holy Spirit. And the battle seemed to have stopped. There's a, like a windscreen wiper going across your life or your face. And everything was clearer. And there was something was taken away. And that was that battle. I keep thinking, I haven't thought or hurt or, or worried about or been to AI or done anything like that since 2008. So that's where the answer was, it was the real God. And um, all the stories I could tell you about um, the devastation of that addiction, that one addiction, but there's many more and I've seen addicts do the same thing. Is the answer is to me, for me, you know, was just get baptised, receive the Holy Spirit and I was wiped clean and I didn't have guilt. I never carried any more guilt anymore. So, so the grace of God picked me up, put me on higher ground, as I always say, and from nothing I, I have an abundance of treasure from God. You know, I have a wife, I have a house, I have a car. I used to walk around with one pair of trousers and, um, and I managed to work and I was just, that was the answer for me. And I thank you for listening. I can't think of too much more to say. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Is a living, breathing example of where an addiction, where a problem has been totally destroyed in Brian's life because of his now relationship with God. So there, 
are many causes of addictions, the trauma like Brian described, whatever our history, whatever our weaknesses, God's greater than them. Whatever our choices, if we haven't been making great choices. And remember that I wanted to open it up, that it's not just substance abuse we're talking about. It's anything that's going to have a harmful relation, a harmful consequence in our lives. And so think about our devices. Um, when you get down for a time of prayer, what, someone just said recently, it was Damien, Damien in his talk, he was saying that we should go into our closet for that time of prayer. And he added something that's in the scripture that I don't often think about, which is, and close the door. Leave the phone outside. You know, leave the distractions outside. Go somewhere where it's just you and the Lord and, and crop pot away together. So if it's bad habits that have formed, then replace them with good habits. Repent, confess, be restored. Be connected with the God of all creation, however unlovable you think you might be. Brian mentioned guilt. It's a great weapon Satan uses. In Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So anything in our history, it's, it's done away with now. It can be done away with. If there's anything in your history that, that tries to trap you, that tries to drag you down, that tries to pull you away, that tries you to, to say that you are unworthy, well, in a way you are. In a way we are all unworthy, but we are made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Romans 12 to final verse, don't copy the behaviour the superficial customs of this world, but be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind. I love that word transformed. It really makes a difference. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's good and acceptable and perfect will for you. And that's a, that's a message that's a... That's a scripture, that's a verse, that's a thought, that's for all of us, that we bring the need and the desire and God brings the power. God brings the healing. God brings the transformation. Amen.